Chapter 12 of The Outdoor Girls at the Hostess House. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by M.J. Rodriguez. The Outdoor Girls at the Hostess House by Laura Lee Hope. Where Love is Deaf. Doesn't it seem funny? Amy was saying as she daintily but thoroughly gnawed a chicken bone. Not to have the boys with us? Well, I think, returned Molly, her nose at an independent angle, that it's mighty nice for a change. Yes, Grace agreed, employing her paper napkin to remedy the damage done by a vivid spot of jelly on her skirt. They seem to think they can dictate to us. Imagine it, to us. Outdoor girls who have never known what it was to take dictation from anyone. Except our daddies, Betty broke in, her eyes twinkling. I've seen even you stand at attention, Gracie dear, when Mr. Ford spoke. Oh, well, of course, said Grace, dismissing the interruption with a wave of her hand. We've got to obey our parents till we're 21 anyway. Then I guess we've got to go on obeying all the rest of our lives, said Molly with a sigh. They looked at her curiously. For who, she went on to explain reasonably, in her right senses is going to admit to being 21. To finish what I was saying, Grace continued, while Betty and Amy chuckled and Molly looked wide-eyed and innocent. I, for one, will never take dictation from anyone outside the home folks, especially mere boys our own age. Well, no one asked you to, said Molly calmly. I really don't see what all the speech-making's about, she added. It was about the boys, said Amy, mumbling over her third piece of chicken. And by the way, they take it for granted we've got to do what they say, finished Grace. Well, said Betty, plucking a piece of grass and rolling it thoughtfully between her fingers. Don't you think perhaps they act that way because they're going across so soon? I don't see what's that got to do with it, returned Molly, puzzled. I should think that would make them want to be especially nice to us. Leave a good impression, you know. Just the same. I can't help thinking, Betty persisted, that that was why they acted so queerly about Sergeant Mullins. Maybe they think that when they're several thousand miles away, the other boys will have their chance. But that's silly, objected Molly, as if we wouldn't think a good deal more of them when they get over there. Distance lends enchantment? queried Grace, with lifted eyebrows. Goose, commented Molly. Goodness, cried Grace plaintively. That's the second time I've been called a goose in the last five minutes. Pretty soon, I'll be a whole flock of them. The girls laughed, and Molly said with aggravating condescension, It's hard sometimes to tell the truth, Grace dear, but we only do it for your own good. That's what friendship is for, you know. Then give me enemies, cried Grace. I don't care how many faults I have if people just won't tell me about them. 
which reminds me of something," said Molly with a chuckle. "Well, don't tell us about it," said Grace hastily. "I'm trying hard to love you, Molly, but I can't stand everything." "Oh, but it's a joke on me this time," Molly reassured her, and Grace sat back with a sigh of relief. "It happened while we were at Pine Island," Molly continued with a chuckle. I was sitting in the living room playing the piano, or trying to," interrupted Grace. "Or trying to," agreed Molly with perfect good nature. "You know my repertoire consists of two pieces, and I was humming one of them as I played. Frank and Roy was sitting on the steps of the porch outside, and I heard Frank say to Roy very earnestly, 'Do you know? I think Molly would have a wonderful voice.'" If she would only have it cultivated. Goodness, I thought, began Grace, but the little captain very hastily pinched her into silence. Evidently, they thought I couldn't hear them. Molly continued, but they were mistaken, for I heard Roy answer pityingly, "Say, old man, I've heard of love being blind before, but here's a case where the poor little god is deaf." Molly. Cried Amy, shocked, while the others laughed merrily. What did Frank say? Did he stand for that? Most decidedly not," chuckled Molly. The last I saw of them, Frank was leaping a fence, hanging on to Roy's coattails. It was awfully funny. I think I laughed for an hour afterward. It was a wonder there was enough of poor Roy left to come home," giggled Betty. Frank isn't what you might call gentle when his temper is roused. Oh, I believe I know when that was now," exclaimed Grace with sudden animation. "It must have been that evening when I was baking biscuits, and I looked out of the window and saw Roy. He looked like a tramp, hair all dishevelled and face as red as a beet. I called to him and asked him if he'd been in a fight or something, and he just got redder than ever. And backed off into the woods. I concluded he'd gone suddenly and violently insane, and as the aroma of nearly burned biscuits filled the air, I promptly forgot all about him. Molly chuckled. There was probably a very good reason for his backing off, she said. I shouldn't wonder if after that he kept his meditations to himself. Yes, said Grace with gentle malice. I've long since concluded that it's better to keep still about personal matters, no matter what you think. Well, perhaps you have," said gentle Amy with sudden spirit. "But I must say I never noticed it." And you too, Amy," she cried. "Ah, this is too much." "Yes, it's all right, dear," soothed Betty, hastily rescuing a basket. "But please." Don't step on the lunch. These baskets cost four dollars and ninety-eight cents at a bargain sale. Oh, how sordid of you, Betty," chuckled Molly, as if Grace cared for a mere little five-dollar bill. Goodness, I don't know whether I do or not," remarked Grace plaintively. "It's so long since I've seen one, I can't tell." As Alan remarks, laughed Betty as she gathered up the remains of the lunch. Money must think you're dead. They laughed at her, and suddenly Betty changed the subject. You know, 
I overheard something the other day, she said. That's just made me terribly blue whenever I've let myself think of it. Oh, Eddie, gasped Molly, jumping unerringly to the catastrophe they had been dreading all these months. Do you mean the boys have got their orders? Oh, no, I don't actually know a thing, Betty hastened to assure her. But there was a brilliant light of excitement in her eyes that did not reassure the girls. Then what do you mean? cried Molly impatiently. Oh, Betty dear, I just haven't realized how awful it will be until this minute. When those boys have actually gone, I'll lie down and die, that's all. Well, for goodness sake, don't tell them that, beseeched Grace. Then they will think they can dictate. Well, let them, said Molly recklessly. They can, for all I care. Go on, Betty, do, urged Amy, her hands clasping and unclasping nervously. Tell us what it was you heard. Well, Major Adams was talking with the colonel, Betty complied, her color bright. And I just happened to catch a couple of phrases as I passed. In a week, the major was saying eagerly, The boys will be glad of that, colonel. I've had all I could do to keep them pacified at all. Once let them get at the Huns, and it will be all over but the shouting. Yes, they're a fine bunch of young fighters, the colonel answered. And oh, girls, I wish you could have seen the way he looked. So splendidly straight and martial and proud. I tell you, major, he said. It's a great thing to have the leadership of such lads as those. They're the pick of the nation. And then I went on and my heart was beating so hard. I had to hold on to it, Betty finished. It seemed to me I could almost hear the cannon and see the boys. Our boys. Her voice trailed off into silence, and for a long time no one spoke. Each one of these young girls, who a few short months before, had scarcely known the meaning of the word war except as they had read about it in their histories, was striving desperately to visualize the battlefront, the trenches, great guns belching forth a deadly hail of shells, the roar of cannon, the moans of dying men. End of chapter 12